Tokyo. Quite a lot less horsepower, but two more foot pound. Yeah, but how do the how do the brakes compare? Because one of them has discs, doesn't it? Are they both are they both drums? I can't remember. Uh, the Ford is disc up front, drum in the back, and the Chevy is drums all around. Yeah, Ooh. <laughs> I know, I know, and the Chevy is. More more powerful, faster to 60, faster at the top end. I mean, yeah, on paper it's faster. I mean, you're, you're talking... I mean... 8.1 to 7.6. So you're talking half a second faster. I mean, it, it's right there. Welcome again, folks. Uh, after that rather cryptic intro, uh, I am Mike. And this is Brian once again. And uh, today we have the pleasure of uh, leafing through... Some old car and driver magazines from the mid-60s, man. And I don't care if you're a car guy from the from the 2000s. I don't care if you're a car guy from the 90s. I don't care how old you are. The, the old back issues of car and driver, every once in a while, they offer some pretty amazing insights into the industry as it used to be, especially uh, as pertaining to engines. See, for me, it's it's more entertainment. Yeah, <laughs> it's more how funny things are. Like you, when you take it from today's perspective of safety is number one. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, back in the beginning of cars, the last thing auto manufacturers wanted to do was remind the public that you get seriously hurt, or die in one of these <laughs> things. You know, and it was the, that was the last thing you talked about. You yeah, know, seat belts were an option. You know, no one cared and. So you look back, like we're looking at that. I don't even remember what year it was. What year was it? Well, this issue is '66. Uh, yeah, this issue is January '66. Yeah, so the '66 uh, Chevy Capri with a 426 drum brakes all around. You know? <laughs> Making almost what was it 400? No, 390 horsepower, 462 foot pounds. Yeah, drum brakes. I mean, that that it's just laughable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what they did. And the uh, competition, the competing car was uh, the equivalent Fairlane, I believe. Yeah. Convertible. Seven liter, 428, uh, I think you said it was. 428 cubic inches. Um, disc, mean, it, it, they're, they're right there with each other. Disc brakes in the front, a massive yeah. step forward in safety, but uh, a convertible top on a giant four seat car. You can't. Is one I thing don't you know don't see. You don't, well, you don't see it anymore. I mean, you don't see that kind of. Today? You know, no. No, I mean, you don't see convertibles much, period. Especially the big, you know, I, don't, yeah. I can't think of any, I don't even think I can think of a four-door car, like a full-size sedan that's sold with the option of a convertible Off the top, top of my head, head. no, I mean, someone somewhere is doing something. Sure. But yeah. I, I, I don't know, I can't think of the top of my head. I can't either. But yeah, that's all they used to do, when you get a big caddy or whatever with a convertible. Yeah. That was the way to go. Yeah, it was all about image, you know, mm. the experience of owning the car not necessarily the dynamics of driving it. Yeah. You know, the the idea of your your mid fifties Cadillac <clears throat> was just a, cru a cruiser in the most literal sense of the term. You know, just yeah. a constant speed around, you know, some local roads and not trying not trying to get across eight states. Well, yeah. Well, back then, the interstates were new. 
Yeah. Most you know your your range of driving is so. I'm like just to get here, I drove a half hour. It was like 20 miles, I think. Yeah, exactly. And and we do that now without even thinking. Not, yeah, exactly. Where back then, you know, 20 miles. Why the hell am I going to go 20 miles away when they, you know, yeah. they just didn't do it. Exactly. Or they did do it. And but why am I going to take the car at all if I can walk to wherever I need to go or get on my bicycle and, you know. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think by the 60s, they were, they were definitely driving everywhere. It's just everywhere was a lot closer. That's true. We hadn't sprawled out like, like we do now. True, you know? true. Uh, but I still think, I mean, I'm just, in a, you're remembering, um, you know, what, what used to be in the trunk of the the cars when I was a kid, you know, the, the smart car owner in his trunk had belts and hoses and, you know, thermostat and tool, I mean, yeah. tools, you I mean, know, you that was, have, you that know, it's like today, that's not your average driver, your average driver of any time period. You, you know. think so? Yeah. yeah. I think people paid less attention nowadays to the car. I think people pay less attention because, I mean, say what you want, cars made better, cheaper. Oh yeah, and oh, they sure. yeah, absolutely. So, no doubt. No and, doubt. And now you got manufacturers that are, you know, lifetime fluids. Like you mm-hmm. get a transmission, it's sealed, mm-hmm. and it's you know, quote unquote, lifetime. And, and they look at it as, you know, first. I think they say the first three owners. Mm-hmm. So your first guy owns it for five years, and next guy owns it for two or three. You know, and, and that's about it. You mm-hmm. know, it's seven to ten years, and it's meant to go, supposedly. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't trust it, but it's supposed to. I think the only time period where, where a, a car owner really knew his thing is like early, like in the twenties and mm-hmm. stuff, when they were just ungodly complicated. And when car repair was more akin to like blacksmithing. Yeah, like you to, to start your car was an event. Yeah, you know, like like you had to know you had to you know prime this little pump here and do <laughs> this thing here and pull this little lever. Two clicks, three was too much, or right. one was not enough. <laughs> Two clicks, you know, it, it was, you know. And you had to walk around the front of the car, grab a giant crank. Yeah, and hope you die. Yeah, put yeah. your biggest glove on so I think your wrist didn't shatter. Yeah, I think back then they knew more about the car. Yeah. And, and as they got more sophisticated and complicated, people know less and less. And, and it's not necessarily their fault. Sure. It's more complicated. Sure. You know? Sure. I mean, I have no idea how my phone works. I have no idea how this podcast gets published. I mean, <laughs> it's just the way it is. Push buttons. Yeah, push buttons. But, you know, I, I really, I, I mean, I I think that, that a lot of the, the contributing factor to making the car, the central contributing factor to making the car more of what it is today and, and something that you can drive 30, 100, 3,000 miles in and not think about it very much is just, you know, what's inside the engine because... You know, after how many there was, the car was invented as a concept in what the late 18th century, and only at the end of the 20th century was it something that the the engine was basically like not trouble free, but you didn't have to open the hood every time. As bulletproof as you could get it. Um, I would disagree. I would say what's made cars what they are today is the computer. Computer, sure. You know, because you're saying yeah. what's in the engine. I'm saying what's controlling the engine. Yeah. You know, because. You know, even back in the, the 70s and 80s, you know, when everything was still carbureted, it, it's cold mornings up north, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't know if your if your car was going to start, if it did, how big a pain in the ass it was going to be, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, you, you, once you got to fuel injection and then computers controlling everything, mm-hmm. now they're, you know, they're pretty much bulletproof until something goes wrong and then yeah. it's catastrophic. Yeah. You know, you have one sensor go out and your whole 
truck, your whole vehicle shuts down <laughs> because the engine doesn't know, you know, yeah. what this most random system is doing, and it needs to know to make everything work. You know. Well, I, yeah, and actually, I was I was thinking of a, more of a perspective of like, you know, back in the day, there was all these experiments with. You know, the, the, the type, what type of metals can we use inside of an engine? They were experimenting with heat Durability and wear and stuff. It was yeah. much more likely to just drive, you know, come home from a drive and, you know, all of a sudden you're, there's a, a puddle of oil yeah. in your motor that you have no idea where it came from. And it took a long time for them, I think, to, to you know, like gasket materials yeah. and you have yeah, a machine, how oh, to balance rotating assemblies, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, the, the material and technology that goes into building an engine is a lot more advanced mm -hmm. and just the, the tolerances and just which designs were going to work. I mean, the, I think a classic example of like a, a durable engine design is the straight six. I mean, that's mm. just one of those motors that is naturally like balanced, vibration smooth, free. Yeah. yeah. It's smooth, good power delivery, durable, you know, tunable, yeah. any displacement, it produces good horsepower. Mm -hmm. you know? And the, the V, I think the V8 is the kind of the other one that's come along in the 20th century. That yeah. It's just, it's, it, almost kind of like a, a perfect thing out of the box you know it's yeah fairly easy to build a good one you know like a v12 or something ridiculously complicated like that is you know i think that's where you're talking about cars getting you know a little bit more complex than they need to yeah. be um and, th and that's why i think where the engine computer has done a huge service to the automotive <clears throat> industry is with the those weird designs yeah i mean i don't know it, it's Computers, yeah, they, they make it better and they make it worse. Yeah, you know, it's a love hate. I think. Well, yeah, I mean, I was. You were with me yesterday when I was reading through that article on old Franklin uh, engines, and this was back in the twenties when they Something were like that, yeah. trying to build, you know, cars that that could just get from one side of the country to the other. That was a huge achievement, and everybody was going for, you know, the idea was the only way to make more horsepower, which which you needed to get over the the Rocky Mountains yeah. was. You had to add more cylinders or just make the thing bigger and so you know right franklin had this giant air-cooled 12 cylinder that ate a quart of oil every what did i say I 50, 50 miles, miles yeah. during the initial testing and you know they, Great they just didn't yeah i mean they, they just all they needed was a you know an old microsoft computer to figure out oh we need to make you know <coughs> this we need to make the screws this much longer yeah. so that everything seals up properly yeah that was always the measuring stick back then, drive across the country. I remember I saw an article on um, um, the, the guy that, um, not, he didn't invent the diesel engine, uh, the guy who made Cummins. Yeah, yeah. I believe it was Cummins. He, um, he just started, I think he owned a logging company up in the Northwest, and yeah. he, he was just fed up with the, the cheap trucks that were just getting destroyed. So he made his own truck, and then he made his own engine, and, mm -hmm. and, and that was his thing when he started selling them, and uh, he drove across country. Well, it, what made it so good? I mean, I, I don't know Cummins very well. What was the nut of the article? Um, I've read this a while ago. It was just, it was more power, more, yeah. the, the truck itself was more durable. Yeah. I mean, back then, I mean, anyone can make anything and put it on the road, they didn't yeah. care. So he just made stronger, heavier steels, a bigger, heavier truck, carry more, and and he, uh, go, I believe it was going over the Rockies, he, he came up with the, well, he didn't come up with the idea, he came up with the need for um, an engine brake. Yeah. Because he's going down, he's just burning up brakes Oh, and stuff. sure, yeah, so, yeah, sure. So then he 
had one of his engineers or whatever come up with the idea for an engine brake. Like an exhaust brake? Yeah. It's cool. Mm. But yeah. now they invented that. Yeah, but that was always at the... Back then, that was always... Yeah, let's drive a cross country. We can do that. We can do anything. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, you know, back in, when the roads were... There, yeah, there was no interstate. paved There was <laughs> yeah. no interstate or anything like that. No, that just was a car. Yeah. And and it wasn't a I remember mechanic on every corner. One of, the, one of the, those early companies was... Um, I don't remember if it was Duesenberg or Auburn, one of them, uh, whichever one had a, always sold the cars with a plaque on the dashboard that said this car is, you know, certified at 100 miles an hour, that it will actually do 100 miles Oof. an hour. Yeah. <laughs> but, and now, you know, is there a car that won't? Uh, yeah, there's got to be a little half liter cylinder, you know, <laughs> economy car. There's got to be something out there that can't do it. Coming to a driveway near you. There has to be one. Uh, we'll find this out and we will get back to you uh yeah well I, I mean i was you know just always you know kind of nervous growing up to buying a, buying any kind of car my first car uh because you know it was much much easier to buy a bad car i think that it is than it is now one that you know had a knock in it or a you know some kind of odd internal engine problem that you just weren't going to find unless you bought the thing and drove it. Yeah, I mean, I think nowadays your your biggest concern is electronic issues. Oh yeah, you know oh, it's yeah. good that I mean I know a guy he uh, he's got a Jeep a JK Jeep and every now and then it just shuts off at a traffic light. It'll start back up, but it just stalls. And he's brought it to dealerships, mechanics. He brought it to every, no one knows what yeah. the hell it is the problem. Yeah, it is so funny that that as as long as cars have been around, hmm. even brand new electric cars, like they, there is still that that tiny chance that it will just stop. Not to interrupt you, but. While you were talking and I was only half-ass listening, <laughs> <laughs> I found something interesting. I googled cars that can't, new cars that can't do hundred miles an hour. Oh, fantastic! Guess what the first one that come up was? Oh, very shocked. Mm, uh, wait a minute. Let me have an actual guess at this. Uh, you will get it wrong. I'll I get it wrong. Guaranteed. Okay. Uh, what are we talking? Major manufacturer or major manufacturer? Major manufacturer. Major model. Major model. Um, ooh. Interesting. Um, it's American. Hmm. It has a bow tie on it. It's a oh, it did. It's a fancy vehicle. <laughs> now, this list, it doesn't say it's in any particular order. It's just the top of the number one on the list. Really? Yes. Um, I'll say, well, uh, uh, the what's that little one? The Chevy Volt. Nope, you're wrong. You're right. I was wrong. It is the Chevy Colorado Diesel. Ah, that makes 98 sense. 98 miles an hour. Hmm. The ZR2 off-road model with the diesel. It won't be going 100 miles an hour. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> now, see, this I get. The Ram ProMaster, the big, like, van. Yeah, sure. That I get. The Probably big shouldn't van. do it. Okay, shouldn't do 100. Yeah. See, this is another shocker. The Chevy Silverado, Sierra, 2,500 and 3,500. 98 miles an hour again. Man, Chevy doesn't want to do 100. They don't like triple digits. Mm -mm. Wow, Ford F. So pickup trucks don't want to do 100. They must be electronically limited. <laughs> I'm they sure they are. Be. I'm sure they uh, are. The van, Chevy Volt. Ah, uh, sorry, Volt with a B. 93. Hmm. 
yeah, now we're just getting into all these tiny little economy. The key of Soul, Nissan Leaf. There's a lot of vehicles that won't do 100. <laughs> it's almost like, yeah. yeah. You know, electric, crap, crap, crap. crap so crap, it's basically, crap. if you're a car guy, you're never going to drive any of these anyway. Let's buy a big-ass truck. And then you're not doing 100 anyway. <laughs> so you're good to go. Don't worry about That's it. Right. safe. Car guys <laughs> of the world, we, just, just, <laughs> we have just informed you of every car you don't need. Hmm. Pretty much. Well, that's not true. Because odds are, if you're a car guy, you need a truck. That's true. Because you're going to buy something, that you, or pull something. You either need to bring a car to a shop to get it, whatever done to it, or... You but I am frequently late. I need my truck to be as fast as the car is. This is, this is the issue. <sighs> See, that... I, I think that mentality is what makes crappy vehicles. Where I need my vehicle to do everything. <laughs> I need it to be as fast as a freaking Lamborghini. I need it to be as, you know, durable as a freaking Kenworth. But I don't, I don't know about you, but look, I was awfully glad that Hennessy proved that you can do, was it a buck 86 with a Christmas tree on the roof of your, of your, <laughs> of your Grand Cherokee? Uh, I am thankful for yeah. that scientific information. I, yeah, what was that? Was that a Grand Cherokee? I think it was. With the, the yeah, I, think it was a, I think it was a Trackhawk or an SRT. One yeah, the that had the, the Hemi in it. Yeah. That was awesome. Because I've been late for Christmas a lot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I've been thinking about a Grand Cherokee. That was, now that the deciding factor is, I can put one on, I can, I can put the Christmas tree on one. When I need a tree, now. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it doesn't matter what it looks like when you get here. I don't care if the needles are all gone on one side. We'll put it towards, we'll put that side in the That's corner. That's the corner side. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was a good video. But yeah, I mean, people that want their vehicle to do everything. Because then you get yeah. just, just vanilla, jack of all trade, master and none. Yeah. You know, if you buy a truck, I want a truck that can pull. If I buy a sports car, I want a car that can go fast. Yeah. You know, if I want a comfortable ride, I don't. That's why I look when Cadillac, and I just I kind of understand why Cadillac started making sports cars and stuff like that. Yeah. Because, you know, not to be funny, but their market was dying because old people were dying. Their and market was literally dying. Literally <laughs> dying. So yeah, but when they try, they still tried to make luxury sports cars, you know, the, the whole, you know, like the BMW, XL, like the XLR, M5 kind of full-size yeah. sedan. Yeah. If I want to buy a luxury car, I don't care how fast I can go around the Nürburgring. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I want cushy. If I buy a, a, a big, heavy sedan and it's, you know, got Sitting a, on a the couch in the, back, in the back of it. Tiny, tiny cross-sectional yeah, sports these car tires. Pirelli... You know, Toyo, Triple R's, or whatever the hell they are. It's like, I, I don't want those, you know? The kinds that pick up little, like, you, you, you can see everything you've run over on your drive because they picked it up on the tire. Yeah, it's they're so soft. Ticky and soft, and just the ride is shit. Yeah. And it's, Pick one. You want to be fast or you want to be comfortable? You, you've hit upon a great point, which has been a beef of mine with the AMG Mercedes and the MBMWs and the S-Line Audis. The, the Jag, the, the sports car, hot rod, supercharged yeah. Jags, but all those cars have one major flaw, which is the fact that, that they went once, it's, once, it's out of warrant, <laughs> yeah, once it's out of warranty and you buy one, you're stuck with not just, you know, you have to maintain the engine, which is usually different than whatever else the, the other lesser models got. Yeah. You've got big brakes to deal with. You're going to go through pads and rotors. You've got 
you know, special shocks. Yeah, I mean, high-performance stuff is, wheels. is naturally, obviously, yeah. more expensive. Yeah. But so, that's not even what I was talking about. Well, I mean, I was saying, like, that, that was a weakness. That was always a weakness of the cars that were trying to do everything. You know, if it's a big sedan, let it be a big sedan. If it's a sports car, let it be a sports car. Because if you put them together, you're going to end up with something that's just a, a see, hole that, you throw money into. Like, that's what I was talking about earlier about manufacturers. You know, they're making vehicles today that are... Maintenance free. Yeah, that's their big pitch line. I mean, they even, when you go into a dealership, they even give you stats. This vehicle costs X amount per year. Yeah, to own, maintenance wise. Yeah. you know, and, and they figure it out because they, they just they get the fluids that go longer. You know, everything. Nothing needs to get done, and that's all they care about. Because yeah. the average person, they keep it for five years, they pay it off, and then they get another one. Yeah, there's a reason you a know? lot of these manufacturers are offering like brake pads, fluids, tire changes for the warranty period because yeah. they know most of that stuff's not going to wear out anyway. Exactly. You know, they're taking a bet. Yep. And, and, and I mean, warranties, are, they just make money on that. Yeah. But yeah, so you're talking about, you know, the maintenance on these vehicles. The guys that buy these brand new, they don't have to pay anything. Yeah, exactly. Except brakes. Yeah, they yeah. got to do brakes and stuff like that, especially if they're driving around the track or whatever. But it's, it's the guy that buys it second or third that's got to deal with that and, and manufacturers care about that. Yeah. You yeah. know, because they're not making money off of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I was, yeah, I'm an old car guy. I love new cars when they get old. You know, I love that concept of like the nice old car that you don't. You know, I haven't seen one of those in 20 years, and there's a really nice one. See, I'm, I don't. I either like a new vehicle mm -hmm. or really old, mm -hmm. like 70s. It's got to be pre 80. Yeah. Once you hit the 80s, the styling, everything, like even. Like, you know, I'm a big Jeep guy. Yeah. Like, I love the old Wagoneers, the old Cherokees, you know, from the 70s and stuff. And even though they look exactly the same, mm -hmm. once you start getting to the 80s, just the interior, the feel of it, it's just, I don't like it. Decontented. Yeah, yeah. It, it just, even though the exterior looks exactly the same, because it's literally the same body panels. Yeah. The inside, I just hate the way it looks. Yeah, fair enough. Know? And then you have all the emission stuff, it's just choking. The same engine makes less power because mm -hmm. of all that quote-unquote emission stuff that didn't do anything <laughs> when it's brand new, you know? So it, it just, I want my stuff either really old or really new. Yeah. I, I'm very... Very rarely do I find a vehicle that I'm like, oh, I would take something from the 90s, you know? Yeah. You know? Well, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, and, and I, what I was going to say, my, my follow-on to the point was that, you know, the, I, I think it's when I, was, when I was a kid back in the 90s, you would see cars from the 50s and 60s because those cars were only, you know, 30 years old at the time. They were still, there were still people out there who were keep maintaining them, not driving them as regular cars, but you did see them. And I think now, like you where don't I see, was, there was nothing that old. Well, I would say like now you don't see cars from the the '90s running around in the 2000s. I think is as like you don't see the you don't see the 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 old like high performance cars because they're so much more complicated. Yeah. Like the BMW 8 series, those things were nightmares to take care yeah. of. You know, the, they were cool when they came out, but you don't see them now because nobody wants to put that kind of money into another. You are right. The the, the early computers, they, they were garbage and that's yeah. why a lot of them were gone. The other reason why is um, that Cash for Clunkers program yep. in the early 2000s, yep. you know, um, part of the deal was that any vehicle that was turned in was crushed. Yep. It, it couldn't be put in the salvage yard, it had to be destroyed. 
So yeah, we lost so many vehicles. Yeah. From the nineties because of that. Yeah. You know? They traded sure. in, they got some money and then they got destroyed. Sure. And you know, thank goodness a lot of those Pontiac Grand Prix are gone. They didn't need to survive. But I'm with <laughs> you there. There were some good cars that got caught up in that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean one of the cars that was always my favorite, like were tragedies from when I was a kid was the C4 Corvette. You know, it was always a car that I loved the way it looked. I never wanted to own one. <laughs> but the original late 80s C4 Corvette, not the not any of the ones that came along in the 90s, not any of the, the convertibles or anything, the, the original, just the, the, that design was always really appealing. Really? I liked it. That's appealing to you? I liked it. I hate these things. Fair enough. And there's plenty of reasons to hate them. <laughs> like I said, I would have been happy if, if it just remained on paper because it looked so good. It was just executed so badly. There is no redeemable. There's not a single, like I'm looking at a whole bunch of pictures of these. There's not a single angle. Wouldn't start, wouldn't start because the, the injection was largely experimental back then still. <laughs> the, the transmission was a joke. The whole thing was made of fiberglass that cracked and fell apart. The seals leaked because they had glass roofs. And, and you're a fan of this vehicle. Not, again, not the vehicle, not, not the thing as a car, but like as a poster, you know? It's like the Lamborghini Countach and the Ferrari Testarossa, all those like bedroom poster cars as kids but see, those, still look good as posters. Like the Lamborghini Countach, that has that mystique about it. Yeah. That just, yeah, you know it's garbage. Not garbage. Oh, it's garbage. It, <laughs> it, it's one of those don't meet your hero kind of cars. Exactly, exactly. But it, it has that special something where, yeah, uh, as a poster, it's awesome. That car as a poster? You still don't like it as a... No, as a, as like I said, just looking at those pictures, there's no angle where you go, okay, that, that's sexy. There, there's no redeeming design quality to Dead it. Dead on from the back. You Horrible. can't not like it from the back. Hate the back of it. There's four round taillights. Nope. Four round exhaust. Not nope. Big fat rear tires. Nope. 80, that is the 80, that was it, fast car in the 80s. All is, I mean... The the twin tailpipes that was I mean, that was as fast car as it got. The first, other than like the the, the original Stingray yeah. Corvettes, other than those, the first ones that I could say that's a good rear end on that car, like backside of it, yeah. was the C7 Stingrays. C7s? Yeah. It, every other one, it just looks like they forgot about the back. It's like they they really they put all their time and energy into the inside and the front. That they get to the back and they said, "Yeah, we'll just put some square panels and some round headlights. We'll be good." You know, it just looks unfinished. I just like the I like the the two the four round taillights. I always have. I think that's just a that's a good aesthetic. I don't know what to call it, but it's nice. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if I had a gun to my head, I wouldn't buy one of those cars yeah. because they are just so bad. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were, you know, flexible. They had binds in the chassis. They you know they just didn't work. But again, I I liked them because they were they they looked yeah. good, and there were so many of those cars back then that just that was all they had. Now know? see, now I can relate talking about the the Camaro, mm -hmm. the, 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 I think it's the third gen, the third gen eighties Camaro. Yeah, yeah, that one, it, it just it, it rattles, it shakes. Yeah, but it just looks good. Yeah, there's exactly. something about it. Exactly that boxiness to it. There's and something the, about I Firebirds like too. Are you are you on the What's same that? page with the eighties Firebirds? You know, basically the same. They have the pop-up headlights. Yeah, they're okay. Kit, you know, Knight Rider. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, no, I mean, I would go back into the 70s if I'm going to get... On your Firebirds? Yeah. Yeah. You know, go Smoking the Bandit Firebird. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. That's the classic one. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm not a huge Pontiac guy. You know, I'm very hit and miss on those, but mm -hmm. they're all right. Well, see, the, the Firebirds in the 80s, uh, for me, that was, you know, I, the, the pop-up headlights. You know, that, that was fast car because it got the headlights out of the way so you could make more speed. That was the whole point. Didn't the, um, was it the Challenger or the Charger that had the, the little pop-up headlights in the grill? Oh, yeah, the, the early uh, Chargers had yeah. the, the, with the harmonica grill. Yeah, yeah. the flip around. Yeah, yeah it was so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was, and it was, you know, just something like that where, that you, you're never going to see. You know, I don't think any, the DOT has probably illegal, you know, illegalized the pop-up headlight forever. Yeah. I, I don't even know if you can manufacture know. that anymore. I think it's just one of those things that have just died out. Like, yeah. Because they, they would freeze, the motor would die. There's no need for it. Yeah. You know? yeah. So they just stopped doing it. Yeah. And, you know, it, you know to, to get... <laughs> that you're, you're adding weight, you're, you're reducing aerodynamics. A lot of complexity. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, now with, with aerodynamics and, and mileage efficiency that they have to meet, you get these headlights that just stand up on the on the hood. Plus, it didn't look good when they were up. Yeah, it great when it was at during the day, but at night. <laughs> but again, there's always they always and they always get seem to, they seem to get stuck one up one. Yeah, up. it's always winking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I was going to say to bring it you know the long way around back to the engine side of it. Uh, that was oh yeah. The, the 80s was a time of you know experimentation, not with necessarily the the inside of the engines, but how to control the air fuel mixture because there was. You know, the throttle body injections, there was experiments with direct injection, there was, you know, early manifold, tune port, multi-port, you know, there was yeah, all kinds I of suppose. different ways they were trying to get it right. See, I don't know, maybe I'm just more of a pessimist. I look at the 80s as, you know, it was just the, the suffocation of the engine. Yeah. With all the environmental emission stuff that they were just, to me, it seems like guessing, like... Let's try this. Yeah, exactly. You know, and yeah. it, it, just, it didn't do it. It just choked and killed the power. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, just, it was, and it was, you know, it was regulation that was introduced with no time frame towards implementation. It was like, you got to do this now. Yeah. So the engineers just scrambled and were like, okay, how can we cut? You know, we have, we overnight, we have to cut the emissions on these motors by like 30%. How are we going to do that? And they just, you yeah. know, like, well, we got a ticking clock here to work with. See, when I think of the age of experimentation with engines, I think of, like um, obviously World War Two era, mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um, that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, even twenties and thirties when you know they were trying all you know carburetors upside down and you know all yeah updraft carbs. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Updraft carbs and and you know wedge heads. Wed all, oh yeah. Sure. All kinds of stuff. <clears throat> yeah. You know that's what I think of uh, the tunnel ram intakes versus yeah. you know how do you how do you make a lot of torque at the top end of your rev range, but still make horsepower. And how do you yeah. how do you make horsepower on the low end and still make torque? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that going on, and it still continues to this day. But my point was that you know when I was growing up, it was a lot of like uh, it was a lot of kind of much of a muchness because everybody's system hmm. they claimed it to be the best, you know, but it. That's all the marketing part. Yeah, exactly. All of the you know, Mercedes injection had yeah. problems, and BMW computers failed, and you didn't want to buy a Jag or anything British because yeah. I was asking for trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, there was one point where uh, I think the, some of the early Range Rovers had fiber optically lit instrument panels. I think you said that, yeah, yeah. Why? Why on earth? Yeah. Come on, Land Rover. That's not something <laughs> you do well. Why do you try <laughs> Don't this? Don't innovate. Yeah. Don't do this. But the, the point was like, their, 
they and they used like an old duct tape together Bosch injection kind of system mm-hmm. on their early motors, and it was a nightmare. That's why so many you know, so many of the early Range Rovers are just you know dead dead rust yeah. piles, and I and and so like you know for, for me that was but you know the the sad the, the sad part was always like you know if you just put carburetors on the motor it would almost run better yeah because the internals were good you know I've always wanted to do that if, if there was some way just to take a, a new vehicle rip out all the computers on it <laughs> and just have a, a carbureted vehicle I'm sure you can you can I'm sure there is a way the, the, there's gotta be a way you have to start with a short block you would need to get rid of every computer and yep. you would need to get rid of the ABS system the the traction control the you know what? This, the is a great this is a great experiment for this podcast to undertake I like this idea how do we ruin a $40,000 vehicle? I got a car <laughs> outside right now. <laughs> hey, if you want to take some wrenches to it, I'm willing to destroy your vehicle. Let's do it. There's no way. But I think you could. I mean, the only thing was, you know, the only thing that would possibly make it impossible would, would be starting with a variable valve timing engine. You have to make you, you have to make sure that your engine didn't have anything like that. Yeah, that you would, would need to go to a, a simple push rod. You can have an overhead cam. Well, could you have an overhead cam? I don't think so. If it was, yeah, you could have an overhead cam. Because then you, s- you still need sure you can cam sensors and crankshaft sensors. No, you just have to make sure that that when you're because you'd have to you'd have to start with a bare short lock yeah. and put the rotating assembly in and assemble the heads and then time it and then you just have to make sure that all your timing marks lined up. Yeah. You know, before you start to start the if motor. that engine even has time, of and then time. I mean, you still have to, you have to make some. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if if you theoretically, you know, if 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 everything was lined up when you tried to fire the motor the first time, yeah. it should run. It would run on a carburetor. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, you wouldn't have brakes. <laughs> you, you can get the engine this to run. This is true. You couldn't get the brakes to work. You couldn't get the throttle pedal to work. You well, would, you could install a you could install an old style Bendix vacuum. Power brake booster. You and, wouldn't have ABS. And that's what you would have to do. You you would have to rip out every computer and then put in. I like this idea. You wouldn't even have steering. You would. I still like this You idea. would need a whole new steering rack put in there. Yeah, well, you could go. You could go old hydraulic because old hydraulic steering power steering was. Or was, put an old steering box in there. Recirculating yeah. ball steering box. Sure. Yeah, know. an old gear reduction box. Sure. Yeah. But I like this idea. I'm, I'm all for this. Yeah. Let's take a brand new. You know what? Start with a Jeep. Start with a brand new Jeep. <clears throat> Can we make this thing into a 1970? Yeah, but, <laughs> okay. And then you have this brand new fifty thousand dollar vehicle. We'll start with the Renegade. No, start with the Renegade. Ugh. Start with the Renegade <laughs> because it almost kind of looks like it's squared off. It yeah. looks like an old male Jeep. But then you wouldn't be able to get it registered on the road because it would never pass an emissions test. <laughs> so you need to move to a state where there is no well, South Carolina I'm doesn't have this. one. I'm fine with this so I don't far. Think, still good with this. I don't think Utah has. I mean, there, there's a couple states that don't have emissions, okay. but it, it would be a nightmare. I'm sure you could do it, but you literally have to rip out every computer on that thing, <laughs> which is everything. You wouldn't have a radio. <laughs> no, you wouldn't have a radio. You'd have to install an old like. You uh, wouldn't have airbags. Tube radio. No airbags. That's true. You'd lighten. You you would reduce the weight of that car by a couple hundred pounds. Oh, easy. But. Let's see. Yeah, you lose the power windows. Uh, you're going to lose um, well the trans. You have to swap to a manual transmission too because the transmission has a 
know. Well, no, you can keep automatic. You could go to like a, a or yeah, you have turbo four hundred or something exactly. like that. Yeah, exactly. An older one without a computer on it. <laughs> but yeah, you could do it, but it would ooh, be... but you couldn't do it on a renegade. Well, you could maybe you could do it on a renegade. You have to install. You have to install a longitudinally placed engine, so you could use a turbo four hundred box. Can you mount one of those sideways? No. Get back to us, listeners. It, it, We're it, counting it, on your help. It, 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 the thing is this big. <laughs> There's no way you could turn that sideways. And what are we doing for a rear end? What are we doing for a rear end? Top loader, Dana 60. Hmm. I, like this I, idea. I, I, I still like this idea. I'm still on board for this. A Dana 60 and a Renegade. <laughs> a Renegade. That would be hysterical. <laughs> it weighed more than a car. No, you, it, you would need, to make it easy, you need... Uh, a straight mounted whatever the hell. Oh wait, wait! I, I've got the perfect solution to this. I've got the perfect solution. All we have to do is go find an early '80s Suzuki Samurai because the the very the very first ones are carbureted. I think wasn't the whole point. And then we'll just swap the Renegade body onto the Samurai. It'd be a cheating thing. Not only that, but those are unibody. Oh, are they? Well, okay. You Look, knew you're gonna buy. Is going to be a unibody. Well, then get the cutting tool. Then, then you're, yeah, you're, then you're just cheating. But I still like this idea. <laughs> it would be fun. Like, if, go and get like a, ooh, you go and get an, like a salvage like flood vehicle. Yeah. That's already all the electronics are already destroyed. Already toast. Yeah. Gut the hell out of that. That could be fun. That could be a lot of fun. And then just drop in like a. Well, I hate to say it, but the simplest way, just drop in an LS. You know. Well, oh, that's got to have a computer, though. No, you can get a bare block LS. That's true. That's true. <clears throat> you know, and then you can just mount a uh, carburetor on top. Because they do that for racing applications mm -hmm. where it's carburetor, no mm -hmm. computers. Hmm. It could be fun. I still like this. But idea. like yeah, I said, I like you, you would never, you would have to go to a state where there was no emissions, because you would, it would never, <laughs> never get it. That could, that'd be awesome. Get like a, a salvage like Mercedes. Yeah. And then just roll up in there, you pop your hood, you know, carburetor sitting on top. <laughs> yeah, I like that idea. I really do. Then the other fun part would be, how much wiring could you actually pull out of this freaking thing? Oh, there'd be miles of it. How would you get the gauges to work? You'd have to go with old, you know, mechanical gauges mm. with that work on a 12-volt. You would you know. need an old block then. Exactly, because you have to have a mount for an old alternator. You know, an old like GM single you wire can, alternator. I'm pretty sure you can get an LS with that port for an alternator. Probably can. And a distributor to go in there. Yep. Um, not an alternator. Distributor is what I meant. Because alternator just well, you still mounts have up to, with the belt. But, but you're going to have to have an old alternator because of the connection style. You can't use the the LS yeah. multi-plug yeah, yeah. computer controlled alternator connection. But what I was saying was you need to get your sensor probably from the distributor. Mm-hmm. Well, that you can have an old Hall effect sensor on there or something like that. You could go yeah. back to a, you know. Huh. Yeah. I still like that. I'm still on board with it. <laughs> nothing, nothing we've said so far is making I'm it. I'm trying to talk me. myself into it. <laughs> no, no, actually, actually, uh, wait, wait, wait a minute. we got something here. I tried to be smart. Ass, <laughs> but then it's like, we do it? <laughs> oh, man. It's just, is... just to do that, just I would love to get, like I said, get like a Mercedes. Get like a really technical vehicle yeah. and just gut the hell out of it. Yeah. Roll up to a... Was it the coffee and car thing? Yeah, cars and coffee thing. Cars, yeah, yeah. cars and coffee. Pop the hood and get a, a carburetor sitting on top. Yeah. Your infotainment. Ooh, rip out an infotainment center screen. What can you, 
What could you put in there that would just be hysterical? A bookshelf. Hmm. Etch a sketch. Etch a sketch. <laughs> put a little etch a sketch in there. Yes. <laughs> draw a little map. <laughs> Here's my map. Oh, <laughs> Check it out. Look at draw fun. the route. That would be fun. I'm only taking 90 degree turns the whole way home. <laughs> I love that idea. But you know, that was, and actually, that's a great. That's that's part of my earlier point that. The early Range Rover was one of my favorite cars. First car I bought with my own cash. Yeah, I don't get that. Because it looked good. Eh. Eh. Even if you think eh, it eh. looked good. Eh. It, I like the aluminum body. I like the full-time four-wheel drive. The aluminum block and head V8. And that's the big, cool. long, giant vehicle, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, well, it wasn't, it was... What year was it? Mine was an 89. It seemed big, long, and giant, but it wasn't really... And it's a Range Rover? You know, it was narrow, yeah, it was narrower than... Uh, suburban. It was shorter than a suburban. It was okay yeah. in, in terms of length. I think it was a little taller than a suburban. But I mean, I liked it just because you know it was like uh, uh, it was like a suburban, but the interior was nicer. You know, and it was a little bit different. But the point was that you never see those anymore because they were so complicated. I mean, they had yeah. air ride. They had uh, you know computers that they didn't need to have. They had. Transfer cases that couldn't take being engaged full time and they leaked. I mean, they were just so badly executed, yeah. top to bottom, that you just never see them anymore. And that would be a perfect vehicle for that idea because but see, small block would fit right in there. But see, I think it would lose some of that magic because it's older. Yeah, you're You've right. You got to get a new one. Yeah, you're right. You got to get something like in the last five years. You know, I'd love to LS swap a new Range Rover. That sounds awesome. But then you know, have to make the computers talk to each other. And, yeah, and, and that's the nightmare part, and that's why just ripping all that out and going with manual. Well, you can still do it. You can do a vacuum boost brakes. Yeah. So it won't be manual, but you want to have ABS. But then, I mean, I've had vehicles that didn't have ABS, and just I mean, you gotta know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's doable. Yeah. You know, yeah. As long as you're okay with, you know, no computers helping you. A lot of chins. There's a lot of folks. There's a lot of chin stroking and. Beard stroking going on here. We are really excited about this. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> You'd have to get power steering pump. You have to do all Easy that. enough. Yeah, that's power rack and pinions are. I'm sure available everywhere. Some glaringly obvious thing where you just completely <laughs> overlook. Hey, you assholes! You forgot. Yeah, yeah. And as soon as like we we would rip the whole car apart. And <laughs> oh wait a minute! Pick up your first wrench with your first part put into it. You'd be like. Oh, we forgot that. Yeah, that. There's ten grand gone. Well, I mean, to be fair, the Tahoe started out as a vehicle that didn't have a computer. Well, every vehicle started out as a vehicle. No, no, no but I'm saying like they, they have been. They've basically been using that same platform since the '80s. I mean, they've never really redesigned all of it. The Tahoe. The Tahoe. I mean, it's still basically a half-ton pickup with a, you know. Yeah, full, you know, full body on it. I guess, and it started out as just a you know three fifty small block, you know, single single four barrel on top of it. Yeah, it's evolved over the years. Yeah, but I would love to. I mean, do it doing an old big motor, high rise intake twin carb setup on a new Tahoe. Yes, sir. I'm all over that. What I would love to do is take like, of course, it's a Jeep. Take like a a uh, like a Wagoneer. Uh huh. Slam it. Big block V8 of your choice. Sure. Blower above the roof line. <laughs> Just don't worry about anything on the passenger side of your vehicle. I don't need to see over there past that blower. Just obnoxiously big blower out of the top. Pro Street Wagoneer. It needs to happen. 
tubs, big time tubs. <laughs> tubs for days. Wheelie bars. I've always wanted to do like a drag week. Chop an inch out of the roof. See, chopping gets dangerous because then, like, it, it looks really cool, but if you, you get too overzealous with it, it's just not practical. It's not yeah. comfortable to drive. Like I said, just one inch. It's like one inch. Yeah. It's going to be on the ground. I think it's going to look really, the body's going to look really tall. So yeah. Just take an inch out of the roof, make it look like a regular station wagon. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Pro Street, Pro Street Wagoneer. But yeah, I've always wanted to do, uh, like, a drag week. This is an even better idea. Because this could actually happen. Because making a Pro Street Wagoneer, it's got a Hotchkiss drive in the rear already. You could set it up for a 9-inch, a narrowed 9-inch, tub it, you know, put a Richmond underneath of it, drive shaft, shop drive shaft, turbo 400 or a two-speed glide, and then up front. I already got a Wagoneer with a turbo 400 in it. <laughs> then we are even closer than I thought we were. And it's got a 401. <laughs> now we'll save that. I don't think we'd have, we, we would probably not be able to survive drag week on a blown 401. Let's use a, uh, let's use a 454 uh, with two Holly Dominators on it and a tunnel ram and a big blower. He's a, he's an 871 blower or a 671. I have one question. Who's paying for all this? Ooh. <laughs> Fans, we're uh, turning to you once again. No, um, yeah, we'll have a PBS fund with a PPS fundraiser drive. Probably do better with a Kickstarter. Kickstarter, yeah. We can, we'll reach the people. We'll tell them this needs to happen, and then uh, just flip a coin for who's driving. Then that's really all we got to do. That's my Jeep. Yeah, sure. You can drive <laughs> it if you want. I'm happy to let you. No, that I've always. It just seems like a hell of a lot of fun. Like that's a good way to spend a week. Yeah, you know, drag week would be awesome, and they need to have. And if you you pick your category wisely, you can do it. Fairly, yeah, inexpensively. I mean, you, you, you're racing; it's going to be expensive, but you don't have to build a, you know, quarter million dollar rig. Sure, doing yeah. twenty five hundred horsepower. Yeah, and yeah. I was I was just going to say they need to have more exposure of it. I mean, it needs to be a bigger sport than it is. You, you say that. I think last year, I think I had something like almost four hundred cars. It was like three, three sixty, three eighty. Mm -hmm. Like it was, I mean, it, it took them all day to get a run in. Yeah. Because. Well, I guess they, you know, have, have, let's, let's, you know, have one in Texas. You know, well, they do have, they have, like, was it Hot Rod Magazine? They did the original one. Oh, the, yeah. yeah. Down like the Southeast. Yeah. You know, they always run the East Coast. It was part of the Power Tour, right? That's a different thing. That's a different thing? Same, like, oh, that, that magazine parent company, whatever the hell it is. Yeah, they had Drag Week, which is racing. Mm -hmm. And it drive like, I think it's five days. Five tracks, mm -hmm. roughly a thousand miles. Yeah, um, no support vehicles, and then you have Power Tour, which is like a rolling car show. There's yeah. no racing. Yeah, it's just you drive for a week and you just hit all these. It's usually at a track because that's big enough to get all the vehicles in there. Mm -hmm. But it's just a rolling car show, is the way I've heard it described. Mm -hmm. um, but for the Drag Week, they have someone else started one. Thing, it's Rocky Mountain Drag Week. It's yeah. like in Colorado. It, it you know it, it's up in the mountains and stuff. And nice. I think there's one in Texas too. Um, there there are a bunch of them. They're doing them all over the place now because they they're just so popular. I would agree with you. That would be an awesome. That would be awesome to do. Yeah. Um, I have a, a cousin of mine. He's I think he's in Pennsylvania, and him and his son. He he's a mechanic. Uh, he has a beautiful um, Monte Carlo, mm -hmm. like square body Monte Carlo, mm -hmm. and they weren't in drag week but they just kind of followed it mm -hmm. 
and uh, you know, like, like Deadheads did back in the day. They just followed the tour, and uh, he just said it, it was a blast. But like you said, you don't need to start with a big, beautiful car. What's your your drag? Ford Granada, you know, X body, yeah. or Fox body Ford, or what? You do it. Camaro. Yeah, I mean, you want. What, what, what class are you running in? What, I don't know the classes well enough. I mean, there's, there's a million and one different classes you can yeah. run in. But I mean, it would be something on the lower end of the scale, mm-hmm. you know, and just ease your way into it, you mm-hmm. know, make it feasible. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, I would really, have to, I would, I would love to do it too. And I'm, you know, finishing out, I don't even care, you know, just to, just to do the first couple of events would be fine with me. Yeah. You know, but it is, it is, a, it's nice to have racing, and and once again, it's nice to have engines. That are sound enough to support that kind of, like, just out and out abuse, because you you can't. I mean, you can't carry. You can't carry but so much in your drag car in terms of, of spares and parts. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I mean, you got these guys. Got to have a motor that'll go. The they course. got you know they have race tires. They have four race tires, four street tires. Yeah, you know, so you're only carrying one extra set of tires. Yeah, um, usually an extra transmission. Maybe an extra axle shaft, mm-hmm. um, fluids, belts, few, you know, a lot of those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, but the big thing, the, the reason that they've gotten more successful mm-hmm. at doing it is they run two ECUs. Yeah. You know, and they have two fuel tanks. They have, you know, a 20 gallon, 91 octane kind of street gas, mm-hmm. you know, pump tank with a, a everyday tune on the computer. And then they have, a little, you know, two gallon, you know, race tank with another ECU and two fuel pumps or how many ever five fuel pumps on some of these things. But that's why they can have a 2,500 horsepower motor, you know, down track and then they switch everything over and then they're doing 800 horsepower, uh-huh. you know, on pump gas and they can do it safely. Yeah. yeah. And that's only in the last couple of years. Yeah. I think someone did it as like a joke. And then it actually worked, mm-hmm. and then it, it just caught on. Now everyone does it. Yeah, you know, that's like the standard. Yeah, you have a big, a big number of car. You're running two computers on. Yeah, it. sure. And like you know, and, and that was that was what we were. That was what they were just getting into. I remember when uh, the idea of standalone engine management came around in the late '90s, early 2000s, like the very, the very early infancy of the idea of. of programming your own engine management system yeah. in your garage basically from scratch you know you just started with injectors and you started with a, a, a loom of wiring and a bunch of relays and a, and a brain yeah. box and you had to you know you had to figure out how to, to measure it all up MSD you know has been a, one of the seminal companies in helping us get from you know the mystery box fuel injection yeah. in the 90s to now <laughs> where you just Push a button and the thing tunes itself. Yeah, it, and it really is. I think was it like the Holly Sniper kit? Oh, Holly Snipers. They, yeah. they, they, there's a, a bunch of others. It, it's really plugging in, plugging some information, like super simple, basic, you know, cylinder numbers, display spin numbers, you know, very basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it does it all by itself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now as long as you have a uh, a Wi-Fi connection, they can tune wherever you are in the world. They can tune your vehicle. They can get live feed on what your vehicle's doing, mm-hmm. make their changes, and it, it, it's amazing what they can do. At yeah. a reasonable cost, too. Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, you can get, how about, you can get a Dominator now for, what, like, 1800 bucks, I think? Two grand? It, it's, mm-hmm. 
maybe a little more than that, but it, it, it's attainable. Yeah. Save for it, but yeah. you, you, it, it's not a $100,000 option to, to put in your vehicle. Yeah. It, it's pretty impressive. It is. I mean, it's, it's the solution to a lot of projects that have just been sitting in the garage for, you know, almost done. Yeah. The paint is painted. The interior is installed. The engine's there. It's just, and, you know, how Mo do I join all these wires up? Mopar guys are, are finally... I mean, but you had to be like a master technician. Like you really had to know to do a, a an engine swap in a Mopar. Yeah, you, there was like no aftermarket support. It was all for LS. I remember when I used to go to car shows as a kid. Anytime you saw a Chrysler hot rod or street rod, chances are it had painless wiring gauges in yeah. it because the originals were just you yep. know you couldn't figure out how to make them work with whatever you were using for an engine and transmission. Yeah, and, and Dodge, they finally, I think they finally realized how much money they were losing to Chevy because of their, their the LS system. The crate motor program. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they, so they came out with that Hellcat and they, they finally put some serious effort behind it and now you can get a, they can get a Hellcat for about 12, 15 grand, something mm -hmm. like that. You can get like a 392 Hemi for mm -hmm. six or seven, mm -hmm. you know, so I mean, and actually have aftermarket support and, and computer packages and yeah and parts availability yeah, yeah. You, you can actually do so you can take a hemi put it in whatever old or new doesn't matter you know and, and, and actually to, make it work reliably you know it used to be common practice and I, again i remember this as a very from the from the earliest foggiest days of being a car car guy when i was a, a, a wee shaver uh the idea of a guy with you know a wrecked Give me a rare, give me a rare muscle car, street Hemi, you know, 427 Ford, rat motor, you know, Chevelle, whatever. Yeah. And they would take the motor out and then realize that the motor was the good part of the car. Yeah. Put the motor in a barrel of oil and just seal it up. And that was because they didn't have, they were like, well, you know, there's no, it's, it's, it's a special, you know, motor. I don't have a parts catalog for it. The part number is obsolete for my dealer. I've called all the other dealers that, yeah. <laughs> that I can afford to call in my area. And so I just got to, you know, I can't use it. And I think, you know, you're right. It's, it's awesome now that we have the ability to just run. Doesn't matter what you make is. Yeah, exactly. You know, unless you're an exotic European guy, then who the hell knows what the hell they do. Well, you there. can still, I think you still can. I mean, if you can, if you can make an intake manifold for an old Mercedes or, you know, who knows, engine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the chances are you can, you can buy off the shelf. I mean, yeah. anything to make it run, you know, to, to make it mix fuel and air together. So, uh, yeah, it's, and it's, it's awesome that, that, that capability yeah. is with us. Because, oh, it's definitely one of the best times to be a car guy. Yeah. I mean, it, even, even with the old, like, even when engines were re thought of as reliable, and I think the small block Chevy is always the, like, what I think of as like a paradigm of a good engine that yeah. never needed any significant work. I mean, but even then, you know, it was, it, the fuel was bad. The, the coolant was, you know, dodgy yeah. at times. Spark plugs were, you know, iffy. Yeah. So it's so much, you know, it's so much nicer mm. just to be able to have, you know, a car that you don't even have to, you don't have to open the hood. And, yeah. And, it, you know, it, between it's, oil changes. it's really gotten so good, you know, in the aftermarket scene that, you know, when everyone always said, you know, carburetor is the way to go. Yeah. You know, because it's so reliable. The aftermarket computer stuff. You know, yeah. you know, I know we said it before, but like the Holly Sniper, you know, you put it on there and it, it just, it teaches itself and it, it you, yeah. don't have, you don't have to do anything and yeah. it runs, 
It'll run better than any carburetor. You know? <laughs> we, so. we, we are easily amused because it has been another full hour almost. Uh, folks, thank you once again. We will see you next time. Have a great week.